Shalom, and welcome to episode two. This is your host, Daniel, your friendly neighborhood Catholic Jew, and you are listening to The Catholic Jew Perspective. Are you ready? Let's go. Alright, all right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. It's exciting to have you all here, and I'm excited for this new episode, which is all about tradition. The reason why I want to talk about this is because throughout my journey in my spiritual walk, it turned out that tradition was actually one of the biggest components and biggest factors that convinced me that Catholicism was the way to go. Let me take you back. If you remember, as I spoke about in my previous podcast, in that episode, we spoke about my journey going from Protestantism into Messianic Judaism and later now in Catholicism. So let me explain how it was in the beginning for me. When I was part of this Protestant movement in the Pentecostal church from my childhood all the way till my early teens, no, late teens, I think it was a little later on, it was the same organization, right? However, the one that I ended up in last was actually, I think, in part what also triggered me to change because it felt like a rock concert. Every time that we would gather, the songs would be rocking out. And it was fun. I'm not going to lie. It was very hyped. But it didn't really feel fulfilling, at least not spiritually. Additionally, on top of that, It felt very superficial to me. All the songs were about ourselves, your season, your blessing, everything about you, 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 me, me, me. But nothing about God and worshiping. At least that's how I felt. And I'm not trying to condemn anyone that is part of these churches where the music is super hyped and where things are, you know, all about the perfect lighting and all of these different setups. However, this is not attractive to me, and it was not feeding me spiritually. So that was how it was for me in the beginning. Then in Messianic Judaism, that's where I learned about the beauty of tradition. It was awesome. It was slow-paced. It wasn't hyped. But there was a huge emphasis on retaining the Jewish traditions. And of course, me being Jewish... And falling in love with the roots, I appreciated it. It felt rich. It felt like it was more than just superficial things. And I felt like it really connected. Not just me and that type of atmosphere, but everyone that gathered was surrounded by this tradition. Now, When I moved into inspecting Catholicism, you know, there's all the apologetics to it. And that's not what this podcast is about. As I mentioned, it's about tradition. So aside from all the apologetics and all the arguments and all the evidence that I found, tradition turned out to be a really important thing. So in the beginning, as I mentioned, no tradition whatsoever. Then in Messianic Judaism, I did find it, and it was really good. But it still lacked that ancient path. It 
felt ancient at first, right? Because, hey, it's Judaism. However, it's not biblical Judaism. It's not even really Orthodox Judaism, at least not in the synagogues that I attended. Some of them were, at least the ones I visited. In, I want to say maybe two cases, it felt really Orthodox. But this was not always the case. Now, I know that for a lot of people, this doesn't matter. And you're probably thinking right now, who cares? Is God there? Are you reading the scriptures? Sure. But I'm just telling you what really called to me. Again, moving into Catholicism. I saw a fluid transition all the way from Temple Judaism into Catholicism. I saw the retainment of the sacrificial system, a priesthood, and teachings that are solid and that you can see the roots all the way from the time of the apostles until the modern day. This is what the church calls the deposit of faith. And it's palpable. You can see it. It's everywhere. And the tradition extends not just to the teachings themselves, but the architecture, the liturgy, the style of singing. I'm talking about Gregorian chants. I'm talking the architecture that is Gothic. This Renaissance style art that you see everywhere, the stained glass. It was so beautiful. And when I looked for the first time at a Catholic church, me personally going in, it was outstanding. One of the big things that stood out to me was I remember looking to the back where the tabernacle was and I noticed that there was a crucifix right there in the center of it all. To each side of this crucifix, I noticed three candles, three candles to the left, three candles to the right. And immediately this clicked for me. That is the menorah. Right, the menorah, the candelabra, this is the seven-branch candlestick that would be inside of the holy temple in Jerusalem. Where you have the middle branch and the three branches to each side. The middle one, the same thing in a Hanukkah, which is the nine-branch one that you use for Hanukkah. The middle one is called the servant candle. The servant. Isn't that amazing? I'm thinking here, Isaiah 53, and many other parts in the Bible, specifically in Isaiah, where it talks about the Messiah in a prophetic sense, but it calls him and refers to him as the servant, the servant of the Lord. We also know that Yeshua, Jesus, is the light of the world. So you can see how I'm making this connection mentally. You have the servant, which is the light of the world, which is Yeshua in the center, and to each side, the three branches on one side and the three in the other, forming the seven-branch menorah. So when I saw that, immediately it felt familiar, even though this was really my first time being inside of a Catholic church. Next, I saw the priests and their vestments. And this was also wonderful to me, where back in the days, in the Protestant church. And again, I'm not trying to bash on anyone, so please don't misunderstand. But back in those days, you would not be misplaced to walk in with shorts. 
it wouldn't be something crazy to see a girl walking in with tight pants. It wouldn't be something weird to see a guy with hanging pants. Of course, I'm talking about the early 2000s where that was the fashion. Thank goodness this is not the case anymore, at least not commonplace anymore. I digress. This was something amazing to me. When I saw the priest with the robes dressed so reverently, and again, it reminded me of Temple Judaism, where I would see the, these images, at least how they are described in the Mishnah and the Talmud, where the priest would have specific garments worn, holy garments to be worn during their service in the temple service. Next, the artwork. Now, a lot of people might not consider art as something that you would find inside of the temple in Judaism. But this is not the case. As a matter of fact, the historian, the Jewish historian Josephus, records that on the veil that divided the holy and the holy, the holy of holies in the temple was decorated with this celestial type of pattern like stars and things of that nature. We also know that in the temple built by Shlomo, Solomon, he had created these giant keruvim, these angels with their wings that touched each other, made, I think they were made out of wood and covered in gold, if I'm not mistaken. But you had these, you had the beautiful and elaborate design, again, in the menorah. And all the tapestry, everything was built to perfection. As a matter of fact, if we go back to the Torah, the Old Testament, right? We're talking about the first five books of Moses, and I'm talking about, I believe, in the book of Exodus is where you can find this, partially also in the book of Leviticus, where it tells us about the instruments in the temple. It tells us that the Spirit of God was placed upon certain men to become these master craftsmen and artists that would create the most beautiful things out of gold, out of wood, out of silver, out of brass, to go in the temple. It was not just random things. These were things that were holy, things for God, things that would be used in the service of the people of Israel in the temple, in the tabernacle as well. Now, I go back to the Catholic Church, and I'm seeing the chalice used by the priest where the wine is consecrated and then becomes the place that holds the blood of the lamb. And I see the way that his mannerisms are, that there is structure, that there is a ritual, a ritual that I can see not just here, but in different scenarios, right? In different places. If I go to another church, they're going to be performing the same thing. Why? Because there is structure. And I can travel also back in time. Now, I know there's a little bit of a debate going on right now. And this is where my Catholic listeners are probably going to be like, oh, I don't know what mass you're going to, but this is not the case everywhere. Okay, so let's dive into that without getting too controversial because we'll leave that for another time. And I'm talking about the issue of the Novus Ordo Mass, which is the new Mass, 
versus the Latin Rite Mass or the other Masses performed by the other rites. But specifically, the issue is the Tridentine Mass, which is the old Latin Mass, called the Extraordinary Form, versus the Ordinary Form or Novus Ordo. In the older traditional Mass, this is where things just go all out. And that's the perfect example of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about tradition. However, I go to the new Mass, the Novus Ordo, and in some places I do realize and recognize that it's not the same. You might not find the same architecture. You might not find the same type of artwork. The building might not be the same inside as well. And perhaps some things change in the liturgy. Perhaps they're not using these Gregorian chants. And even in the Novus Ordo, there are some that are not so reverent. But there are the ones that some people call the unicorn Novus Ordo, the rare ones where it is reverent, where there is order, where there is tradition, respect and reverence and holiness still preserved. So that's the one that I've been to. I live in Japan and I go, I've been to already two different churches and the one that I'm sticking to now is, although it is Novus Ordo, because you got to keep in mind in Japan, you know, first of all, it's not really a religious place. And secondly, they, it, they need to reach the masses and to be able to reach them, they need the vernacular, right? You need to be able to speak in a language that they'll understand. So I appreciate that. However, the building, gorgeous. Architecture, great. The art everywhere, amazing. There's just so many things. But the Tridentine Mass, that's where it's at. However, I still haven't been to one of those yet. I've only seen it through video. Friends tell me about it. I've read about it. And that is the next step. So if you're listening to me, Pray for me that I get the opportunity to be able to go check one of these messes out. Folks, it's been amazing. All right. I don't want to go too long on this, but I'm so glad that you were here with me listening. Make sure to also follow me on YouTube and on Instagram. Both of them, the same handle, Messianic Me TV. All right. Folks, thank you again because... You know, this is a new adventure for me going into the world of podcasting. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that I didn't mess up too much like I did on my last podcast. Again, I'm new to this, but I'm excited. I wish that you all have an amazing, blessed week. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.